Welcome back, Cal and listeners. This is Methodical Millions, Episode 8. I want to thank all of you for tuning in. So, Cal, we talked about tracking and how important that is last time. But let's say our listeners have done that. And with all that data, how would you find a pattern and what would you look for? So first of all, the point of tracking is to have some consistent methods, some set of rules, let's say, that would basically give you the chance to test it. So by tracking, you'd see how effective those set of rules are. So what you're trying to look at is some certain data points or certain sort of information that will give you a good reason for you to take that trade. So let's assume that you're looking before market opens, you're looking for something to trade and you're trying to find something that's worthy of trading. So you want things that will most likely play in your favor that will more likely than not be profitable to you. So there are a few things that you need to look at. Now, this is also subjective, but the actual concept and idea behind it is the same whichever way you slice it. So for me personally, I like to look at a few things. One is being that if there is a certain catalyst or news that would make good reason for me to make a play on that stock or that company, right? So maybe they just announced a new product or they had better than expected quarter, so their earnings are higher, or maybe perhaps some management changes that I believe would affect the company in some way. So a catalyst, right? But some micro catalyst that's company specific, you also have macroeconomic events that could affect perhaps the movement of the market as a whole and, and some companies as well. But that's another story. So I'm looking more on the micro scale on what affects that company. So that's one thing. And what's the price point and what certain levels that I believe would be a good entry point for that stock, things like that. So just a couple of things there. Let's assume that, okay, by that I decide to make a trade. What I do is once you enter the trade and close it at the end and then log that data, that data would tell me at the end after having a large enough sample, is this strategy working? Is what I'm doing effective or not? Yeah, that's really insightful. I like that because it's a bit of a framework, a bit of a pattern or rule set, like you said, to go about it. And it brings me to a question. So do you have to be an economist or really smart to do this? And where do you get your catalyst from? Is there a log or a website or maybe a news place you follow? A lot of people just follow the general news, right? So every now and then I used to use Yahoo Finance. It's free and it's online. Some brokers provide news for that specific stock as you look up the stock. They have some free apps that would show you the prices of the certain equities and whatnot and would show you the news that might affect the stock, whether it was directly related to that company or not. So the news is widely available. Some news outlets would provide the news a bit too late for you to make a play on that company or on that stock because what happens is the move has already been done. So the news came out. And people reacted to that news. And by the time perhaps you hear it might be a bit too late because it has made the move that accounted for that, whether it was to the upside or towards the downside. So some people also pay for some subscription services, you can have Bloomberg and you have Reuters and you can just look them up online. I used to use Yahoo Finance a lot because I was looking at specific news for specific companies. And I would just type the four-letter ticker, whatever the case might be, and then 
it would give me the company and all the news that's related to that company for that day if there's anything interesting. Yeah. How do you measure the strength or validity of a catalyst? Let's say I'm new to this and I want to pick one. How do I know it's legitimate or valuable and worth trading on that kind of news or just maybe an article that somebody wrote that really won't be that meaningful? Well, at first it might be a bit difficult, especially if you're a beginner at this, right? So you wouldn't necessarily know how maybe effective that news is, right? So basically you might read something about a management change. Now, it might not be that big of a deal. Maybe they have a new chief financial officer, but maybe that wasn't a big concern in the first place. Maybe they're just performing as expected and nothing much was expected then, or it's just a cyclical thing, or maybe it was the end of their tenor and it's time to have a new CFO in place. So something like that might not affect the stock necessarily as much. Now, sometimes it would if investors or the markets or people thought that it was crucial for the survival of the company, then it might have an effect one way or the other. And that gives you the volatility to play off of and try to capture a profit from that move, right? Now, Sometimes it would be important because maybe it's a brand new product that people believe that this product might be promising to change the path of the company and perhaps to the better and that could help it or it could be to the worse as well. So it's hard to tell is what I'm trying to say. But again, with practice, you start seeing a trend and sometimes you see some news and you think, okay, this must be good news. It's big news. But there's not much reaction. So it's not always necessary that if there's some sort of catalyst, even if you believe it's a strong catalyst, that it will significantly affect the movement of the stock. So you play it by ear, but it's very important to see the reaction of people and of the investors, of the market, how much volume gets in, what's the direction. Sometimes you see good news, but then the stock drops down and sometimes you hear bad news and the stock goes up and you're thinking, how does that happen? And in many cases, there's a lot more to it. The market generally is irrational. So sometimes you think this makes sense. It has to move this way, but it doesn't. So as the saying goes, the market can stay irrational longer than it can stay solvent, right? So you can't always predict it 100%, but you see the catalyst and you can expect to move one way or the other, and then just carefully, strategically make a decision based on that. Yeah. I think that has a lot to do with timing. And we talked about that with startups and how sometimes it has to be a bit of the right place at the right time for the business to thrive. And I know when I do my investing, at least going long on something, which means buying the future value, assuming there's got a lot of growth potential. So I will actually, as I said before, I'll follow earnings calls. And what I like about those is you're getting information from the source. So you're not getting a biased opinion from somebody who a doesn't have enough time to be informed. So they might be covering 10 or hundred companies. They might not even be in the finance space or they could have a conflict of interest. So maybe they want to see another business succeed. So when you kind of buy into the vision of entrepreneurs, I really like listening to those earnings calls because you see the vision of could be the CEO or just the upper management team, CTO, CFO, like Cal said. So these are the key people who are driving the company. And I really, really enjoy listening to that because I learn about what the company's direction is. And 
I guess some really cool insight as if I was kind of in the border myself. So I'm a huge fan of that. And although I don't read financial statements in detail, those are available too. And what I like is you get to hear about future plans of the company. And if you get an inkling of, oh, they've got a new chip in development or they're going to grow a new part of their business, whether it's any of the big giants, Apple, Tesla, or it could be in a new space. Now that we're moving to more online interaction, maybe you follow some of the web meeting businesses or online businesses and some might be pivoting to that. So getting a sense of the future direction of a company, I think long-term is a strategy I like to use. And to me, it's more of a methodical choice. It's not maybe reactionary. And the thing about it is, it's not going to be your only investment. So if it's going to do well, you get the upside. That could be 5x, it could be 10x. And if it goes down, maybe you lose half or maybe 1x all your money. But again, over many plays, that nets to a good portfolio that I think over time does well. So I found that to be very helpful. And to me, it helps me stay in tune with what's going on with the world. So Cal, I wanted to ask you, you talk a lot about these catalysts and guessing the direction. So does that mean you could actually bet that a company will go down or maybe lose value? Yes, you can make that decision. It's anyone's game here. You wouldn't know exactly the direction of the move, but based on educated assumption because of certain things, you try to make an educated guess like you said. So you can bet that the move would be towards the downside, meaning that the news would affect the stock negatively. So the price would drop. And basically that would be called shorting the stock is the term for it. So you're taking a position where you would profit if the price of the stock moves down. Now, it's important to know that, but again, there are risks that come along with that. And I think that's perhaps something a bit more advanced because the potential losses theoretically could be limitless with shorting. So they have to proceed with a bit more caution and have a certain set of rules that you really stick to either way, whether you're going long or going short, but being a bit more careful is required with going short. Yeah. And how I like to paint that analogy. So when you're going long on something and you invest $100 in a stock, and let's say that share price is $100, it's a public company. You can go on your web broker or your investing platform on your phone and just place the order and you own one share. Now, let's say the value goes up at that company two or three X. So you make an extra hundred or two hundred dollars. That's your gain. But if it gets delisted or goes bankrupt or the worst case scenario happens, you lose your hundred. That's a loss ratio of a hundred dollars or the one share and you might win two to three X. But I think what Cal's saying is if you take the opposite trade, which is going short, I believe you're effectively borrowing the share from a broker. And the reason why Cal said it's more advanced is because some shares can't be borrowed, some maybe aren't available. And the challenge there is you're borrowing that share in the sense you have to rebuy it at some point in time. And ideally, the theory is you're going to rebuy it if it drops to $50, you'll make that difference. But if it goes to that two or $300, maybe it goes to $1,000, you could have unlimited losses because you might wait too long to recoup and buy back that share. And it's called closing that position. It can get very dangerous. So 
It's definitely a little bit more exotic. It's not for everybody at once to do. I'm sure even some of the best can make the incorrect decision and maybe suffer. So, I mean, it's interesting to know about and to think about, but it's not something you'd go probably do day one. But I guess what we're getting at is to be methodical about something is to have a strategy and a rule set so that you can hone your craft over time. You can actually have some kind of foundation and framework for thinking about things. It's not just whimsical or see if I'm lucky today. And that's the real divergence of, I think, who will be in that 10% who does well. And I would say that's whatever the stat is for long-term investors. I know people shy away from it, but if you can have a plan and a strategy, again, under the premise that it won't work all the time, it'll make you smarter. And over time, I think you'll do well. Very well said. And just to touch on about shorting, that's exactly what it means is put it simply when you go long or you want to buy a share of a company, again, let's say one share costs $100 and you buy one share of that company. So you buy the share first. And then as the price moves in whichever direction, by the time you close your position, you are going to sell that one share that you own. So you own that share and then you're going to sell it to someone else. Now, by going short, it's, again, like you said, you are effectively borrowing that share from someone else and you get that share from your broker. Now, again, like you said, sometimes those shares are not available to borrow. Sometimes there are only a limited number of them available. And even if you're able to get your hands on some of them, they might charge you a fee just for you to be able to borrow that because maybe there's a high demand or shortening interest is that what they call is a lot of people would like to short that company as well. So it makes it a bit more difficult for you to get access to those shares. So you're borrowing this share from someone else. You're taking the share from your broker and he's saying, I'm going to return that share for you in the next day, week, two weeks, whatever, right? And then afterwards, you return that share. So your hope is that you're going to take that share. Now you own that share and you're selling that share to the market. You're not holding on to that share. So you never own the share of that company, right? So now you sell it at $100 and then you're hoping that the price would drop, let's say, to $80. So you buy it back a week from then at $80 and then you turn that share back to the broker. So what you've done is you sold shares for $100 and he bought it back at 80 and it doesn't matter because the broker got their share back. So what you did is you profited off the difference. So it's the inverse of being long, right? So you're doing the opposite. You're selling first and then buying it back, hoping to buy it at a lower price. Yeah, Cal, that's very fascinating. And it's cool to think about it that you can kind of play both sides. So whatever your strategy is on that company, you can basically capture the opportunity either way. So we talked about the FOMO, the fear of missing out because the value went high, but maybe it's overbought as some people call it, or the value's too high. Maybe there's too much of a frenzy and yeah, maybe going short, at least in the short term, while the stock cools off, it makes sense. So I like your idea, Cal, of tracking that because I know if I went short, I wouldn't know if I was successful unless I saw data, unless I saw a pattern. So it's cool to see, do my strategies work or not? And I think what we're getting at is there's no right answer. This is definitely something you develop over time. And people might think they're right, even the professionals, but sometimes they're wrong too. And you develop a methodology over time. 
Cal. So yeah, the strategy is important, but it looks like you need a broker to do these, right? Do people still have trading floors? I heard that the trading floor had closed because of the whole quarantine. Is that true? Yeah, they have, but for the average retail investor or trader, which is basically the normal average person who would be trading from home and they open your own brokerage account, everything's really done online. So you'd have to have your broker that you have an account with and some brokers would have access to those positions for you to short more so than others. Some brokers are known to have quite a lot of shares available to short more like their specialty, but they require larger minimum deposits for you to be able to even open an account with them. Some don't, some are actually more effective for day trading, some more focused on investing. So there are a lot of different type of brokers out there and, or all of it right now is pretty much done online. Yeah. And I think they want to make sure you can cover your position as it's called, and there is some risk to it. So We're not saying we're the experts, more of an introduction on these concepts, but you got to have some capital in there in case a position goes the wrong way, you can cover it. And that's the important part of the data, right? Yes, of course. So basically, because you're borrowing the shares, the broker needs to know that you have enough funds in your account to be able to cover the losses if need be. Now with shorting, the theoretical loss could be infinite because fewer are going along. The maximum amount you could lose, like I said, is one times your money, which is basically your $100. It goes to zero, worst case scenario, and you lose your $100. But it was your $100 that you lost. Now, if you go short, because you never really bought that share, you're borrowing the one share from the broker, selling it immediately in the market for $100. Now, theoretically, if the price keeps going higher, you're actually losing money because you're betting it's going to go lower. Let's say it goes to $150, then you'll have to buy the shares at $150 to return the share back. So what you've done is you sold it at $100 and bought it at $150, so you lost $50. Now, what if that share goes to $200, $500, $1,000, $10,000? Very unlikely, but it can happen where you've seen shares go quite a lot higher than expected. We've seen one a few months ago with a few of the tech companies. So it can get to infinite amount of losses. So if it goes to $10,000, just for the sake of this example, you sold a share for $100 and you bought it for $10,000 to return it to your broker. So you just made a $9,900 loss. So Cal, if you make that $9,900 loss, you get into something called a margin call, right? Can you explain to our listeners what that is? Yeah. A margin call is basically when you are trading and you have what they call a margin account, the broker would give you some margin or leverage that you're able to borrow money from them to make a trade. So let's say you have $100 in account. Some brokers will give you two times leverage, three times leverage to borrow to be able to buy shares. So you can buy $200 or $300 worth of share, even though you only have $100 in account. So you're basically borrowing that money so you're able to buy more so you hopefully can maximize your profit. Now, a margin call is when you actually make a loss that is larger or close to your entire amount that you have in that account, your actual money. So a broker would give you what they call a margin call, asking you either to deposit more money into the account so that way you don't get a margin call 
or to sell the equities that you have to avoid a margin call, but that means that you're going to sell for a loss. At some scenarios, what happens is to protect yourself and to protect the broker as well. The broker sometimes would liquidate and sell and close the position for you, whether you're long or short, they'll close the position to avoid you blowing your money out of proportion to the point where you actually owe money to the brokerage firm. It's a very unpleasant scenario to be in. But again, that's all comes down to being very strategic with your moves, whether you're investing or trading. It's the same. Just be very, very careful. Make very strategic calls. Make a decision of when you're going to enter, when you're going to sell, whether you're making a profit or loss, even before you make that trade, right? Just make that decision, plan it all out. Every proper thing that you do in life, everything is properly planned. You don't build a bridge on a whim. You plan the structure, you bring architects, you bring engineers, contact suppliers, you plan everything accordingly. And as you basically build a building or create a bridge, it takes time to do that thing. And it's the same with investing and plan everything accordingly well ahead of time before you even step in. That's a good point. And I know we talked about this. Let's say you're new in a certain aspect of investing and you take a bad trade. It doesn't matter that if it was expensive or not, like hopefully it wasn't too expensive. But what I was talking about was why not for every loss you take or maybe something didn't go in your direction, go and learn five or 10 things about that space, about shorting, about margin calls, about maybe leverage. Because over time, if you're learning a lot more, that will essentially pay dividends in terms of your knowledge. You'll be able to get smarter over time. I mean, the point of that is every six months or so, you'll be more educated at what kind of plays you're making as to why your knowledge compounds over time and hopefully you get smarter at your decisions, right? The point of learning over time is that you'll be able to draw from a bigger tool set of why you're making those decisions and you get really, really good at what you do. That's right. And again, this brings it all back to where we started, Right. By doing these things, how do you know if what your planning is right? You plan based on the education, based on your readings and findings and studies. And then you take action by implementing that plan. And then you log it in. And you do one after the other, after the other, after the other. And that's when you have your sample of data. And then that's when you find out after looking at 100 data points that you think, okay, you know, out of 100 times, I seen that this has worked 50, 60, 70% of the time. So there is some consistency points there. Now, what about the other 20, 30% of the time that I didn't make it? Where can I find some consistent points? Maybe they were all small caps, meaning their market capitalization is very small. So they react differently to a larger cap. Maybe they're earning plays. Maybe you don't play well with earnings, whatever the reason might be, maybe they could be emotional plays that, again, you fell victim to FOMO and just followed the trend. You saw a lot of buying and move up higher or anything. Oh, I don't want to miss out on this play. So I entered. So you'll find a pattern. And then after that, the next hundred samples, you'll try to avoid those things and you might see a higher success rate, right? So that is why it's a loop. You plan accordingly and log in all your trades. So that way you can look back at the trades and revisit your strategy and make changes accordingly. That's really smart. I like that. So to summarize, have a strategy and craft your own and test it. 
So see what works, what doesn't, and lean into the ones that do and refine them over time. That's definitely a good way of thinking of that. And I like that approach. So I think we'll wrap it up there. I want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in. This is Methodical Millions, episode eight. Follow us at methodicalmillions.com for future episodes or info at methodicalmillions.com for episode feedback. Thanks, everyone.